This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hope you had a great weekend. Time to catch up on things. There's a lot to cover. We'll get to much of it. And of course, I encourage you to go over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and you'll get a lot more over there. There's some links over there. There's a sign-up for a daily email that I send every morning, 5 a.m. West Coast, 8 a.m. East Coast. I send an email out. It's called The Daily Wink. What you need to know, W-Y-N-K. Go to ProAmericaReport.com and check that out, and I promise you, you'll enjoy that. But okay, we could cover a lot, and there is some to cover. I think I'll wait till the uh, latter part of the show to talk about Afghanistan a little bit more. But instead, I want to talk to you about something we've talked about a lot in the last six months, maybe to a year, and that is the power of the narrative machine to make people in America especially, self-censor. So here's what I wanted to bring up. I watched over the weekend a video by Glenn Greenwald, uh, who was a journalist at The Intercept, which was an online journal started, an online website. And he's the guy that was influential in the Snowden uh, releases. And Glenn Greenwald's since gone on. He has a sub stack and is on Rumble and is kind of an independent journalist. He lives in Brazil now. But in 2014, he spoke about the question of privacy and the overwhelming movement to get rid of privacy. So it's six or seven years ago that he's talking about this. And one of the things he says, which is really, I think, insightful, is he draws attention to the idea that when people say they want privacy, a lot of the debate is divided into people who do bad stuff and people who do good stuff. Because people who say, oh, don't worry about privacy, they often say, well, if you're not doing something wrong, what do you care? And Glenn Greenwald's point is that's the wrong division, right? That's the wrong place to divide the population, that privacy actually is a kind of space that allows you to have your viewpoints and have them in ways that um, aren't embarrassing and therefore aren't uh, shaped by any kind of pressure. And it's a kind of freedom. Now, he did make a dig, I have to say, in the middle of it. He said, you know, the, the Abrahamic religions believe that there's a omniscient God that sees everything, which I, I happen to subscribe to. And m- many of you probably do. And he was kind of dismissive of that. I'll come back to that. But I do think his point was insightful as to the notion that people say, oh, well, what's privacy? You know, you don't have to worry about it. I mean, be a good person. But instead, his point, again, was the framework that having the ability to dissent and take positions, excuse me, that go against those in power. And again, I'm reminded so forcefully of the essay from the 1970s, late 1970, I believe 1979, that's called The Power of the Powerless. And it's by Vaclav Havel, who was then a dissident in the Soviet-occupied, what later became the Czech Republic, Czechoslovakia at the time. The Soviets dominated, and Havel later became president of, of the Czech Republic. But Havel was writing about the unbelievable uh, pressure for social, excuse me, for uh, self-censorship. And Havel was saying that they didn't actually have to make you uh, be 
taking their position, proclaiming support for the regime. They could just get you to self-censor. And they didn't even have to uh, beat you into it physically, into self-censorship. They could just allow all the characteristics of the society to work in that direction, and people would choose it. Um, let, let me say it a little better. What, uh, and Greenwald was drawing this uh, conclusion, too, and Havel talked about it. They didn't have to beat you or physically intimidate you or stop you or force you to speak. They could set up all the dynamics in the, in the community you were in so that that became the choice of least resistance. And what we're seeing in America right now is an epidemic of self-censorship. Say it more clearly. It's an epidemic, pandemic, of factors that are used are being used to self-censor. Over the weekend, you might have seen Chase, uh, the Chase uh, Bank, Chase Bank, the credit card company and Chase Bank canceled the credit card of General Mike Flynn because they were concerned that it would have an impact on their reputation to be associated, to have someone have their credit card. Now, that may sound a little silly, and it kind of is. I mean, I don't even know how much money General Flynn spends on his credit card. But the idea is, over time, what's happening, they put me on a list last week, Pelosi did, and I can tell you that 90% of the people who subscribe to my newsletter, you know, it's about 50,000 people every morning, go to proamericareport.com, you can sign up. About 90% of the people that saw that news about me were like, oh, yeah, of course, and no big deal. But 10% were actually worried or uh, wondered why or said, what happens next? And a few of them thought, oh, my gosh, you're going to jail. And the point here is that's what Pelosi was doing with their enemies list. That's what Chase Bank is doing with the cancellation of credit cards. That is what the culture and what it what the message becomes clearer and clearer is don't have an opinion that is outside of the lines of the conventional wisdom as defined by the others. You see it with um, the transgender issue. Remember that uh, Abigail, is it Abigail Schreier? Might be getting her first name wrong. Schreier, the author of the book on transgenderism. They didn't actually tell her that she couldn't publish it. They just wouldn't sell it. They made sure it was blocked on Amazon. Over time, the dominance, just like the communists in, in, the, Czech, in the Czechoslovakia, in Czech, it became the Czech Republic. They don't have to tell you what to do. They can simply make it clear that if you want to succeed, you want to be left alone, you want to be uh, able to have uh, existence and, and, and prosper and uh, raise your family or anything, stay quiet. Self-censor. So what do you do? I mean, one of the things that you're seeing is you have to, I saw Glenn Greenwald say this in the question and answer of his TED Talk. The TED Talk was in 2014. I couldn't tell where. I think it was an international one, so overseas somewhere. But he said, courage is contagious. Do you know that the roots of courage, the roots of the word courage, come from running? Curare, course, courage. It means running, that the ability to run towards. Think of it as running. And courage, Glenn Greenwald said, is contagious. That's what you have to see. When you see a guy like Donald Trump speak out, General Flynn speak out, uh, Tucker Carlson speak out, me speak out, you speak out, in whatever world you're in. And you don't have to speak out from uh, Fox News. You can speak out from your perch. You know, I tell people, get, go local. Get local. Because if you can get local, you can impact national. Trust me. It's, it's happening more and more frequently that you can do that. But we are seeing an absolute a pandemic of, of self-censorship. 
And the only thing you can do is consciously break out of it and change the dynamic and look for models and make it contagious and spread the word because it's happening over and over again. And and by the way, let me be clear. I don't even know who is right or wrong on some of these debates, but I can tell you when they shut down Donald Trump because they say it was an insurrection or when they shut down Alex Berenson when they say he's wrong. I don't think he's been proven right. He certainly hasn't been proven wrong, but they shut him down. When they give one side, Fauci, all the credibility, and they give the other side, they make them seem like they're bad guys. When they actually say, and I think the judge reversed himself, when they actually say that a mother will lose her child, her custody of her child, because she decided not to vaccinate him. This is, I mean, and and what the what the message is is moderating behavior. And by the way, self censorship doesn't only have oh doesn't always have to be just speech. It can be action. And so you know what, people aren't going to speak up much. They're also going to move in the direction of the conduct, the conduct that gives them the best chance to succeed. The epidemic of self censorship that is being perpetrated on this nation. By the, by the government, by the media, and by big tech, it should terrify everyone. And again, the only things we can do is we can stand up, speak out, and then courage is contagious. And look for courage. Look for heroes. Look for those that inspire you to encourage you. Now, for me, I return to scripture, and there's lots of encouragement there. Be not afraid. Fear not. Peace be with you. My peace I give to you. Lots of inspiration, lots of ways to say, I believe, I'll be fearless, I won't worry about it. But it is a challenge right now. And, um, and you know, it's, it's funny, people that you didn't expect to be communicators of things that make sense to you, Glenn Greenwald is pretty liberal on lots of stuff. But on this issue, he's speaking right to the heart of the matter, and it's worth uh, going back to watch that. All right, we have to take a break, everybody. I'm going to uh, got some great interviews. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and uh, check out all these great interviews and also sign up for the daily email. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here to Pro America Report. Time to check in with Noah, Noah Dingley, our great producer, who uh, the people clamor. They ask, they say, well, it's mostly him and his uh, girlfriend, but they, people do ask. They say, where is Noah Says? The segment where we check in with our fearless producer, Noah Dingley. So Noah Says, Noah, we need an update. I know we played last week the great interview I had with Larry Elder, almost 21 minutes of him talking about I, You know, I, I had a con- I had some contact today, uh, a, a, first a text, then a follow-up phone call with a friend of mine who said, Larry Elder has been brilliantly focused on what's happening in California and what people care about. Schools, get back to to schools, jobs leaving, and then crime, of course, and just things not working. Um, what's your impression on the ground in California, Southern California especially? I know you have roots up in the L.A. area and then down through San Diego now. What are you hearing about Larry Elder in this uh, recall? Well, I'll tell you, uh, you know, several allegations coming out with misogyny or, you know, abuse allegations. Ironic that this happens, you know, just a couple of weeks before the actual recall takes place. And I'll have to tell you. They're trying to pull up all the stops because they thought even if the recall went through that they might be able to get some minor Democrat to, you know, take Newsom's place. Nothing really changes. 
But Elder is making them scared. They realize that he has really got a backing by, again, as I've said on the program before, not just Republicans, because this is not a Republican recall, no matter what they want to say, but by people that are sick and tired of having their lives run by a dictator that wants them to, you know, just kind of do as he says. And, you know, if it doesn't fit the political narrative, you're not going to have any any freedoms in, in this state. And so Larry Elder is still holding strong in the poll numbers every poll that I check and I think it's probably going to be a pretty close call as to the yes no vote but if that yes goes through Elder is the man Elder is going to walk away with this well, it feels like that, that at this point, the combination of name ID for Larry Elder, uh, you know, plus there's nobody quite big enough. You know, the mayor of San Diego is pretty big, multimillionaire who spent money to run for a governor that, you know, I'm not, I'm not bad mouthing, but even, even as I say that, if I didn't say their names, people don't remember them. So Larry Elder's got this name ID advantage. Plus, you know, they won't say it on Fox News. They might say it on Fox News. They won't say it on CNN. They usually say, find the hyphenated American and claim it's the most important thing ever. Here's a black man, African-American, from Crenshaw High School who has a chance to be the governor. So I think he wins that. My question here is, though, do you see and do you think that the powers that be are going to mobilize the Democrat, either the base or the cheating machine, to hold off the recall? To be quite honest, uh, and I've thought a lot about this, uh, especially since the November election, and I'm actually going to have to say it's the first. I really think what their goal is right now, Biden's getting involved, uh, VP Harris is getting involved, and they're really going to try, I believe in my heart, to mobilize the base so that they can at least, for as much as possible, win this thing legitimately so they can say, hey, see – People like Gavin Newsom. They 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 like that he's you know you know doing uh, what's best for California in you know in certain areas. And this Republican recall failed. They're going to brand this as Democrat Republican. But you and I both know that it's not Democrat Republican. It's those that are tired, as I said before, of all these dictates and those that want their freedom back. And maybe California isn't going red, but I think. California is going independent. They are they're they're ready to stop playing politics. So I, I think I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing it. And I talked to some folks up in uh, Yuba City in northern California there. You know, they uh, are uh, focused on it, but that's more conservative neck of the woods. And the folks I'm talking to are conservative. Question I have is in this hot summer. Right. And, and in the, in the burning of the, of the state, you know, everything else going on, including they've generated, meaning the left, the, the uh, more agitation on COVID, right? Oh, there's more worries. There's more of this plus back to school, which is choppy, at least, if not worse. I just wonder if the Democrats can get the turnout. And, you know, that's the question, right? In, in every election, you've got to get the turnout. You got to get your people out in big numbers. In 2020, the Democrats knew they'd get maximum turnout because they had had four years of, of big tech and big media agitating that Trump was a terrible, terrible orange man. So they had that. And he still had to, it looks like they still had to game the system with all kinds of changes and whatever, even worse, probably. I just don't know if you can get, you know, if you, if you get 79% turnout in certain wards in LA County, you lose. It's got to be 88%, right? And that's the thing I'm not seeing. You can't do it with only ads and you can't actually do it without a boogeyman. And there's no Trump on the ballot. 
Larry Elder, I mean, they beat him up. They said he might have smoked marijuana. I don't know if it's true or not, but for a lot of Californians, that's not a, that's not a, you know, that's not a big negative. And they're not saying so. They're looking up and they're saying, huh, we got this, the, the state is burning and, uh, the, the homeless problem is out of hand. I, I'm just going to sit, sit tight. I'm getting, by the way, I'm also getting $300 or $600 or $900 to my house. I'm not going to work. I'm, I'm chilling. Again, turnout looks like the problem for the Democrats. I agree with you 100%. And where the Republicans and the independents and the pro-freedom lovers have the opposite problem. They have been so mobilized on this to make sure that Newsom is stopped and that we get a new governor in, you know, the state of California, no matter who it is, whether it's elder or somebody else. And I think you're going to have a lot of people uh, on the Democrat side that just aren't going to go out and vote like they should. Turnout is going to be, I think, in our favor this time around for regardless of political party, for people that want to make a change here in California. Uh, again, we're talking with Noah Dingley, our producer. Uh, Noah, okay. Um, if, uh, if the, tur- what happens if, <laughs> I'm being serious though, what happens if Larry Elder is the governor. I mean this in the sense of the optics. Can you imagine an African-American, I know, libertarian conservative, you know, he's kind of a iconoclastic, but certainly politically incorrect. I mean, you talk about turning the world on its ear. It would be just unbelievable. It would be unbelievable. He's a great communicator. He's very much kind of Reagan-esque in the fact that he's, you know, he's funny. He's a real person. He's a real person. He has been just a tremendous asset on the radio airwaves and in his, you know, his regular day job. He, you know, changes so many lives. And that's where I think that he's really going to, we might not turn California right overnight if it's going to happen. Larry Elder is the man to get that train started. Well, and, and imagine uh, if you're the Republicans and, you know, again, the party, you're saying to yourself, um, are you kidding me? We could have as one of our national leaders, a leader of the biggest state and, you know, in the country, he could be going around the country saying, you know, we got to stop the Biden thing. I I, I also say um, Larry Elder, you know, if he won for governor, whoever, if the recall is effective, it's something like five or six weeks after the recall when the new governor comes in. So he would be in for something like 13 or 14 months, assuming that the Democrats get their act together and can't and, he do, you know, he doesn't win reelection. It'd be very tough in a general in a normal election to win. But still, you, you serve uh 14 months as governor of California, do interesting, positive things for schools and others. And I think he's a national player. I mean, I think he's a kind of Trumpian character. I mean, don't you think? I think 100%. And not only, you're right. Were this a regular election, this is the first point. This is a golden opportunity in the golden state to set us back on course. Because were this a regular election, I don't think the Republicans would stand a chance. It's a recall election, so it's a little bit different. If this goes the way that I'm hoping that it goes, and Newsom is recalled, and I'm happy actually with anybody that replaces him, but I'm leaning more towards Larry Elder, Kevin Kiley. Those are the two guys I like. If either one of them, if Larry Elder gets in, when the next election rolls around, the Republicans, the conservatives, are going to stand a lot better chance at keeping that momentum rolling, especially if they can be successful with rolling out the policies that they want to lay out. Uh, I think you're right. And I think, again, um, you know, uh, if you're, say, President Trump running in 2024, 
you might put Larry Elder as your uh, VP. It, the, the question of, oh, experience and all that, all of a sudden it's out the window. There's nobody more experienced than a former governor of uh, California. It'd be something, uh, something fairly amazing. And, and, uh, and, you know, you'd say to yourself, well, there's all sorts of people who looked up and said, that's a cool thing to happen. That's a successful guy. All right, we got to shift to the most important topic in the next eight weeks. Will the Dodgers hold it together? Now, after all that spending... They're they're going to be they're going to be a wild card, right? They're not going to be they're not going to win the division, are they? Well, as much as my heart would love to see them win the entire division, I think it Ed at the end of the day, it's very unrealistic right now. We are only two and a half games back as you know as we record this, but the Giants just don't stop. The Dodgers had a nine game winning streak not too far back, and. In most seasons, that would have taken you to first place. They were only like four or five back at the time. They gained a couple of games. The Giants are on a tear. Nobody picked them. The Giants are winning the division. That's pretty much what I have decided. And if I'm proven wrong, that's great. The Dodgers are getting in through the wild card. And then we got to be strong enough to beat them if we get into that, that playoff mode where we can face the Giants and knock them out. I think we can do it. And we got Max Scherzer, who has done tremendous for us. And Kenley Jensen's on fire. And we got Cody Bellinger, Corey Seager back. Things are looking up for the boys in blue. It is interesting. The uh, I've been, of course, you know, and uh, the listeners know I'm from St. Louis, uh, and so I'm a Cardinals fan. And you're watching the Cardinals. They play the Cardinals play um, the Dodgers. I think four or five times down the stretch, maybe maybe six. They play the um, San Diego Padres, uh, the Padres, a couple times. I think one se- one series, and then they play the the immediate rival above them in the uh, in the division in their division, the Cincinnati Reds. I think seven or eight or nine times. So there's a chance. There's a lot of action going on. I wonder what, what's your thoughts on the on the Padres. Now they're Padres are one and a half behind. So if you're looking at or today as we record this, the Dodgers are the top of the heap in the in the wild card by ten and a half, eleven eleven and a half games. The Red, then the Cincinnati Reds, then the Padres, then the St. Louis Cardinals, all pretty tight. What do you think about the Padres? I mean, again, you're right there in your backyard. You think they're going to be solid now? I would hope so because it always makes things interesting. And I like you know I'm a so cowboy. I like keeping things in my backyard, even though I am a Dodgers fan. But outside of the Dodgers in the wild card, I really think the other team to watch is going to be the Cincinnati Reds. The Reds have been very tough this year. And if the Padres, and they could, they could, they could pull it out. They have to stay healthy. They've had a couple of things that Dodgers have been plagued too with, with, uh, you know, the injured list. They have to stay healthy. If they can stay healthy, they can give the Reds a run for the money. I think it sounds. We'll see. It's going to be interesting down the side. I don't think the Cardinals are fading. I think it's a little bit over. All right, well, we got to run glad because the Cardinals always play us tough. I know. Noah says with uh, Noah Dingley, our great producer. Thank you, Noah. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Pro-America Report. And uh, our next guest has become a favorite of mine to read as well as to talk to. His name is Todd Benzman. He's the Senior National Security Fellow, excuse me, Senior National Security Fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. You can find his page and you go through it. He's got a book out about a year ago, America's Covert Border War, the untold story of the nation's battle to prevent jihadist infiltration. Um, Todd, I'm sorry. I'm sure you agree with me. It's too bad that you have to be so right on this, but you you wrote a book that now that we're watching, you know, hundreds of thousands of refugees sprawl all over the world and probably come in through our border. A bunch of them are jihadists. Uh, has to be. I mean, the odds are there. Uh, and it, it more than ever, your book seems uh, prescient. I mean, what, what are you what are your feelings and thoughts as you watch what's going on uh, in Afghanistan? 
Well, I'm not very optimistic uh, because the American authorities who are running this show are putting Afghans on the plane who are not vetted, uh, who have been found to have fake passports and fake IDs, and uh, quite a few of which, about uh, 0.5, several hundred of which were found to be an intelligence database. I'm glad they were able to find this on those uh, who are intelligence databases as uh, security threats connected to the Taliban, terrorism, etc. And so I'm not very optimistic that they caught all of them or that they're able to catch all of them. And the ones that are not going to be delivered to American uh, military bases inside our country, uh, they'll be uh, coming over the southern border, which is uh, wide open and broken. Well, that's what I want to ask you, Todd. When you watch the debate, again, we're talking with Todd Bensman and uh, Center for Immigration uh, Studies. Uh, he's the senior national security fellow. When you watch the debate about Afghani refugees coming to America, you probably have one thought. You're like, well, if you're not vetting these people, a lot of people are saying this, you know, if you're not vetting them, you don't know what you're getting. But in the back of your mind, you're saying... It doesn't matter who vets them because likely is there's going to be plenty of sponsors to pay for them to get to the border and come in that way, right? That's right. What's going to happen, and I wrote about this uh, about a week ago, uh, is that there will be a lot of refugees in neighboring countries, think Tajikistan and Iran and Pakistan. People will find their way in large numbers to fleeing the Taliban to get into those countries because the Biden administration will have no choice to cap this off. We're not going to take the whole population. Uh, when that happens and these refugee camps form up in these other countries, you will have long-haul smugglers find them and start offering those who have enough money package deals to get through South America, Central America, to the southern border. There is a route. It's been there for years and years Afghans have long taken it, not in very uh, significant numbers, but they can do it. And we have seen Afghans cross the border who have security threat information about them, derogatory information about them. Uh, so I, I really feel like, you know, when they do show up at the border, they're going to be even less vetted. They may be rejects from other vettings uh, who are going to show up at the border, which is completely broken right now. Uh, let's go back to that then. Again, Todd Benzman, we're talking to Todd, and I. And again, I recommend his book. It's on my bookshelf, uh, and America's Covert Border War. Oh, I, I said, my, one of my listeners, by the way, said, you say it's on your bookshelf. I actually read it. It's not just on my bookshelf. I read it, Todd. So America's <laughs> Covert you. Border War, the the untold story of the nation's battle to prevent jihadist infiltration. Um, but um, let's go to the Let's talk about the border now, because it's lost in the coverage, right? I mean, it's incredible to watch, and I'll just digress for one second, Todd. I'm watching the coverage of Afghanistan, and there's very little so far. Very smidgens on the Fox level of what happened with this taking out some high-level uh, ISIS-K. You know, it looks like it killed a family. I, I don't even want to talk about it except to say the coverage isn't there. You know, CNN, MSNBC, imagine if it was Trump. But at the same time, the blackout on the border. Nobody's covering the border now because they got to cover a war or a half war or a war, uh, you know, departure. And tell me what's happening on the border right now. Well, for one thing, I, I don't think this is a coincidental timing it's been since March that a caravan formed up and tried to force its way through to our border, you know, those big caravans. Well, guess what? Right. One has just formed up, two of them actually, one in southern uh, Guatemala, thousands 
coming up through Honduras, for, forcing their way through, uh, throwing projectiles and rocks and bottles at police, uh, fighting with the Guatemalan police to get through. And then another group has been battling with Mexican police uh, to come up that way. And I, I just wonder if uh, that is a coincidence in that our attention is distracted. They know nobody's watching and are maybe we're hoping that they might be able to get through so far. It looks like the Mexicans and the Guatemalans have uh, kind of by force uh, put a stop to that for the moment. But I think that there are a lot more coming. I don't think that that's over. And in the meantime, even if the Mexicans and the Guatemalans are not forcibly stopping these caravans, there are in-runs around the Mexican police. We still are having 50,000 a week get by them and over our southern border. 50,000 a week. Think of Yankee Stadium, a Yankee Stadium wow. plus every single week crossing over that border, not in caravans. So it's just a mess down there still. It, uh, we're talking again, Todd Benzman. Go to cis.org, cis.org to uh, check out all the stuff that they do, Center for Immigration Studies. So, um, there were a couple of court cases. One, uh, uh, remain in Mexico ruling from the Supreme Court. Um, and maybe, maybe another one. I don't, I'm sorry to say I don't remember, uh, Todd, but any, is there anything changing the equation? Do you see anything that's changing the equation? I mean, there's no, there's no way Congress has enough, uh, you know, there's not enough power for anybody objecting. Is there, is there anything changing the equation right now at the board? Well, you're referring to the the recent Supreme Court decision that the Biden administration has to do remain in Mexico, Trump's remain in Mexico, which is to push back all of these migrants to Mexico to wait their wait out their asylum claims there. That was the day one. They reversed that because it was so incredibly effective. So there are two ways the Biden administration said that they will immediately comply with the Supreme Court order on that. But there is no no press down there at all. Nobody is reporting. I haven't seen a single report on whether or not the administration is actually starting to push families back over. I think that there are two things that could happen. One is the Biden administration could feel secretly relieved because this is a big political weight around their neck this bot, this border business secretly relieved that they can actually now tell their constituents, we have to push all these people back or they could revert back to the way it was when Trump was in charge and the Flores settlement and just run them through detention centers for three or four days and release them that way. That That's what they're supposed to be doing legally detaining these families, but they have been illegally releasing them. They have to legally detain them. But if they do that, there's this thing called the Flores loophole. And 950,000 people got through during Trump's uh, time. And he did MPP to put a stop to it. I know this is confusing, but right. I can see the Biden administration just uh, reverting back to that and still letting a million hmm. people in. Well, and again, um, there's uh, there's not one one last question. Again, Todd Benzman uh, over at the Center for Immigration Studies. He's the senior national security fellow. His book, Americans Covert Border War. You should get it. Um, one last question, Todd. I got about a minute left. 
Are any of the state actions actually effective? Can, like Texas saying they're going to do something, and and is there any of that that can actually move it? Is there a way that the states could could kind of utilize their you know the notion of uh, of of state sovereignty to to push back, or are we just too tied up? You know, it would take years in the courts. It's not going to matter. Well, I think that the the state of Texas is doing something. Uh, they are filling holes in the uh, line that are left by Border Patrol agents having to leave to go process. Uh, and some of them were, were have been asked to go to Afghanistan and help, believe it or not. Uh, but wow. um, uh, there is there is something to be said for them to still be there for the drug traffickers. They can't do anything about the immigrants really right now. They have to turn them over to Border Patrol and then Border Patrol has been releasing them. Uh, I'm waiting for something innovative to happen. Uh, you know, I, I haven't seen it yet on just <laughs> stopping the sheer numbers. Uh, so something yeah, I, I, still I have to tell you, yeah. Todd, yeah, Todd, I, I, I got to go, Todd, but I want to tell you something. Here's my challenge to you because you're credible. I'm just a talker and talking about it. Um, but if there is a change in the majority in the House, one of the things the House of Representatives will control is the budget. You know, that's how the Constitution says it. spending bills originate from the House. So there'll be some leverage. They have to make the leverage on this point, in my mind, is the border, right? And they can say anything else you can have, Biden and the and the, and the whoever. But on this, we're going to hold the line. It needs to be the issue that the Republicans run on so that if they win, otherwise they're going to win in 2022 and say, yeah, what we want to do is uh, fight the, the communists and cut taxes. And you're like, oh, God, we try that for 25 years so todd i gotta run unfortunately sorry I, but that's my challenge to you i'll come back and and figure it out with you because we gotta have uh we gotta have that so uh thank you todd benzman i'm sorry to do that to you at the end here since <laughs> center for immigration okay. studies cis.org and uh check out his book i appreciate it todd thank you take care all right. All right, everybody. We'll take a break. And don't forget that interview. I'll put it up on ProAmericaReport.com. Follow Todd Benzman and you'll understand what's going on. Uh, we'll take a break. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. It might seem easy to believe that leftists throw around words like Nazi, racist, and sexist out of habit. To us everyday Americans who see how radical they look, we can't imagine their careless language being a part of some bigger plan. However, that bigger plan does exist. In fact, the left's plan is written down in a book by Saul Alinsky. It's called Rules for Radicals. Certainly, many leftists have never read this book and don't know it personally. However, the real movers and shakers that act as the puppet masters of the left know it all too well. Barack Obama started his political career as a community organizer in Chicago, the same place where Alinsky gained notoriety as a community organizer. Hillary Clinton was also a fan of Alinsky's, going so far as to make him the subject of her senior thesis in college. Given how much notoriety Alinsky has among the leftist elites, it should come as no surprise that they rely so heavily on backhanded defamation and deceit to achieve their ends. After all, this fits in lockstep with the Alinsky mantra to pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, and polarize it. What this means is that Alinsky taught radicals to take down ideas by taking down the people who support them. Alinsky contended that whole institutions are difficult to destroy, but giving a face to your enemy can make them weak. Once you've picked the target, Alinsky says freeze it. 
That means to cut off any support that target is getting by isolating him from sympathy. Think about it. Whenever someone is accused of being a racist, people inherently distance themselves out of fear of being seen as defending a racist. When the target is frozen, Alinsky then says to personalize it and polarize it. This means to attack it relentlessly until not just the target is destroyed, but everything he ever stood for as well. These kinds of vicious attacks do matter. Conservatives must prove the left wrong on their continual disparaging and unwarranted claims of discrimination. With Alinsky's ruse exposed, I know conservatives can win the battle on the field of sound logic, reasoning, and good faith in the American people. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. You know, sometimes I see things, I tell you all, and I on the Pro-America Report here, uh, and I mean to cover them with you because I see them ahead of time. And here's one I saw about a week and a half ago, and I should have brought it up to you. And now it's funny to watch the sort of um, the, the, uh, the um, bouncing ball that is the uh, news that bounces through things. And the story is this, that there was announced at Harvard, at Harvard, which Harvard is our, is the oldest university in America. It was started as a Christian college uh, before America was founded. A bunch of guys went there. For Sam Adams went there. John Adams went there. A whole bunch of people, signers of the Declaration, all the Massachusetts founding fathers and the rabble-rousers, it seemed. Not everyone, but most of them went there. And then it became, over time, it became obviously not. It's a secular university. That's no surprise. It's been a secular university for a hundred years. I don't know when it formally got that, but uh, its its motto when it was founded was "Truth for Christ and the Church." Okay, it wasn't messing around. The pastor. It was named John Harvard was a pastor in those early days, and I think in the first hundred years they had nobody but clergymen as the president. So, and it was a small school. It wasn't like a, it wasn't an institution like it is now with 10 or 30 or $50 billion. I think it's $50 billion in endowment. It's insane. But here's where it's a crazy thing. I mean, imagine this in the American, in the great American experience, experiment, you know, it was in the 1600s is when schools like Harvard started William and Mary, which is a state school run by the state of Virginia. So it's not it's not gone totally bonkers, at least. Well, I guess I don't know. maybe it has, but it's not privately. It hasn't stepped away uh, like Harvard did. Uh, it did it because it became a state school. But be it as it may, 1600s, all these things happening and everybody back then believed that they at least believed that faith and religion was a central part of your life. If you didn't have it, you were um, different than everybody else. It wasn't the end of the world. You weren't thrown out automatically, but you might be looked down upon. But that now, modern times, if you're, t- if you're particularly religious, you're like, oh, what are you doing? You don't bring your religion into Harvard. This is a big-time school. Why would you do that? But here's the craziest detail. I saw this 10 days ago. I should have brought it up. Harvard announced they have a new chaplain. And the new chaplain, get ready for it, is an atheist. Atheist. Now, 
at one level, he's he's the head of the chaplain at uh, Harvard. He's a Harvard chaplain, head of the chaplain's office, which means he actually has Jewish, Christian, Hindu, Buddhist, Baha'i, Islam, every kind of religious. It's like forty different pe- chaplains at Harvard. They they they're, they're so into diversity. They have something for everybody. But he's actually an atheist. Now, the funniest thing about this, I told my wife, who's very sharp and very funny, and I said, the atheist, she said, oh, that's that's too bad. The the Satanists turned it down, <laughs> which is great. I put that on Twitter. The Satanists turned it down. You know, so they go down to they couldn't get the guy from the guy that worshiped Satan. They couldn't take him. He was busy. And so they took the atheist. But think about that. Think about how far we've come that our our university, our leading premier university is is hiring an atheist. Look, not even a, a like an agnostic or a, a, a deist, right? Or somebody who says, I'm not sure, I believe in some kind of almighty being. An actual atheist, out and proud, writing books about it. It's not even worth mentioning the guy's name, but how about that? And again, you know, you read, you read the history, and I think I've told you, we had last week our great, uh, my great friend Joe Johnston, and his book is The Decline of Nations. I carry it around with me now all the time because I keep referring to it. And if you want to save your nation... If you want to, if, if we want to save our nation, you have to have certain characteristics in our nation. And one of them is faith and religion as a central part of our lives together. Again, you don't have to join my church. You don't have to subscribe to my faith, but, and I don't have to subscribe to yours. And we don't want the government to pick one, but we do want to have one. And if we don't have a people that believe in a transcendent God, then you're just not going to flop around. You're going to flop around like Harvard is doing. And you're going to worship at the God of, you know, worship at the temple of uh, Freud and Jung and the, and the transcendence you find in yourself. And, and it'll be a relativist, you know, uh, uh, inf- influenced by everything but transcendent truth. There's no surviving in fact, let me go on. Again, I'm back to my back to my Joe Johnson book, and I've been listening to another. I'm listening to another book, a, a book on tape. You, you can't have a you can't have a nation if you if you don't have religion. That's the facts. All right, we'll cover more of this. I got to run. I'm out of time. Thank you as always to Noah Dingley, our producer, who did gave us a great segment of Noah Says. Also, Joanna for booking our guests, and you for listening. Visit ProAmericaReport.com to follow all that we're doing, and we'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening, Ed Martin on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.